Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know, my, my Old Testament class, they recently read Lamentations, and one of the quotes, it was basically this, if we will trust God for the inexplicable things like miracles, can we not also trust God for the inexplicable things like pain or hurt in our lives? Have you been on a journey and the road is very long and you are wanting some changes? Or are you at maybe a crossroad where there are two decisions to be made and you just don't know what road to go down? So Dr. Chris Paris joins us today to discuss this concept of desperately seeking direction, but in the meantime. And Dr. Paris is a professor of biblical studies at Urshan Graduate School of Theology, and he has served in a lot of different capacities in ministry, youth pastor, Christian school teacher, college and career leader, district Bible quizzing coordinator, um, and he's the author of several books and handbooks um, and, and as a professor of Old Testament he has a lot of studies in the Old Testament and is working on uh, more textbooks as we speak, but uh, he really has some insights to share with us today. Yeah, and if you are in these places of indecision and need to make a decision, I think you're going to come away with some um, ideas for how to approach this and hopefully find some solace in your journey. So on to the interview. Dr. Chris Paris, welcome to the podcast. So thankful that you can join us today. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, well, your book um, comes highly recommended, and it's all about how people are desperately seeking direction, but what to do, how to think in the meantime. So a lot of people are in this situation, and they can apply it to different contexts. Um, talk to us about the context that this uh, the, the context for you personally, where did this book come from? Yeah, the book actually started out as a Bible study series in 2006 called From the Meantime to the Right Time. And the idea was that sometimes it's the meantime as from here to there promise to fulfillment, but then sometimes it's a very meantime. Life just gets difficult and it's not fun. It's not uh, great, but you know that you're going somewhere and you have to hold on and make it through those desert experiences. And so I did the Bible study series, and then I continued to live it for the next 15 plus years before writing the book. Yeah. So what did that living it look like? Like, how, how do you 
actually get used to the process of knowing where you are in that process. Yeah. One of the big things that the book tries to teach is we don't just find the will of God, but we prove it. So uh, some people mm-hmm. think it's just a eureka moment. Oh, I'm there. I know what I'm supposed to do. And, and for me, I knew what I was supposed to do. I was getting a PhD, but that takes a long time. And I was learning in the meantime, you know, from, from here to there, I want to enjoy life. Uh, my son was very young when I started my doctoral program. And so in fact, when I started seminary, he was 18 months old. So I really <laughs> wanted to enjoy life and and not, not hurry through it, but you're trying to get through it. And then some mean times crop up, uh, you know, I had a ruptured disc in my back. Uh, you know, uh, my job didn't work out. I didn't get into the doctoral program that I wanted to at first, but then it all started to work out. And so the meantime is from here to there, the meantime that makes you upset. And then sometimes you just throw up your hands and say, what does it all mean? Mm. Yeah, that's true. What are some things that you gained in the meantime, like that, you know, it was because you were not so focused on the right time. I think just perspective and appreciating what you have. And uh, sometimes we can think, oh, I should be here or there. And uh, I just started to think, you know, I'm just lucky to be uh, where I am today and, and blessed. I come from a small town in Kentucky with no traffic lights. I only have one person in my family who ever went to college and or she ended up marrying a rich doctor. So that didn't even matter. So, um, <laughs> and I, I just really thankful for what I have and I, uh, just the many blessings and to know that it wasn't easy, but there was an oasis in the desert and there was blessing. And of course the problem is sometimes you got to shake off the meantime sand from your life. Yeah, that's true. So good. I've had um, several conversations actually in the last week with either clients or friends kind of struggling with that. You know, what is God's will for me right now? Mm -hmm. And, I'm, I'm lost in this thing and I thought I'd be farther along down the road or I don't know what or where to aim my life. You know, I'm sure because you're a professor, you probably get people or students asking you these questions like, what do I do? How do I find this thing? Even to have a, you know, meanwhile, you know, that that's assuming that we're going in a direction. Mm -hmm. How do I find that thing to aim at? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's proving yourself and proving God, you know, asking yourself, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And uh, I think sometimes our frustration comes from looking at other people. Other people are doing these things and we expect to be doing them. And and just a, a story from my own life. I remember being in a church service and there's a guy on the other side of the altar from me and he's not been serious about God. And I've been on a Bible quiz team and, you know, a lot more serious about God than he is. And he's called to preach that night and seems to get this fast track into ministry and we're friends. So we've talked about this. So, uh, and, and here I am, I'm feeling like, Oh my goodness, this guy just got a Ferrari. He is speeding <laughs> in the will of God. And I felt like essentially God said to me, and here's your camel. You get to go through the desert you get to go to grad school, you get to yeah, get a doctorate. And so uh, <laughs> patient perseverance is is the key. That's the one thing I learned and what I would suggest to my students and to anyone out there that uh, patience and perseverance, I think, go together. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah. So what about those people who really don't know what they ought to be doing? Like, what is the, your advice for them to, to figure that out? I would say, what do they like? What are their natural inclinations? And, you know, sometimes people 
want to pick something because, oh, well, I just read an article online that said this job pays a lot of money <laughs> or one of my, my family said I should do this. But, but what do we want to do? And while oh. I appreciate the advice and the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Uh, it's really about who we are. And sometimes we get in that trap of comparing ourselves to other people. Oh, well, they did this. And, you know, well, they look like they're on track to be a millionaire at 30. And, you know, what am I doing? And uh, even if some of us were going to also go that track, we wouldn't we wouldn't find fulfillment if we were just making money or doing something that we really didn't enjoy. So I say prove ourselves. Ask, who are you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do you like to do? And just be yourself. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So I, I love the, the phrase you, you said several times, proving God, improving yourself. Okay. That's, that's, I feel like can be unpacked. Could you help us with that? Like, what does that look like? What am I looking for? Yeah. I, I think what we're saying is, you know, looking at that scripture, we may, you know, uh, that Paul says that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And, uh, and, and, and some people have gotten and said, Oh, it says perfect. So I'm supposed to be flawless. So mm. if I've made a mistake in life, then that means I can't achieve the will of God. So in the book, I talk about, let's think of perfect more as complete as God is mm. trying to make me a complete person and also realizes that God knows I was going to make mistakes and, and that's going to be part of life. And so I'm proving the will of God. I think maybe some people out there are giving up at some point because mm-hmm. they're looking for the flawless or they're, they feel bad because life didn't happen the way they want it to. Maybe they blame themselves. Maybe they blame others. But the proving the will of God is trying to find that, that, compl- that completeness in life. Mm. I love that. It's wholeness, which essentially is holiness. And that's becoming more and more like Christ. So if you're pursuing that, path of completeness you're on the right yeah, track. and it reminds me of the word shalom it doesn't just mean peace but it means wholeness and so if you really want to have peace that's what you're looking for hey guys we've got an exciting announcement that's bound to set your hearts on fire as you know we believe in the kind of relationships where conversations about sensitive topics like sex and intimacy can happen with ease. But after conversations and sessions with so many of you, we know that people carry barriers and misconceptions about these topics. And it's often rooted in childhood or personal beliefs about the Bible and sex. But don't you worry. We have something incredible coming your way. It's time to take your marriage to a whole new level. Introducing the Eros Conference. Eros, derived from the Greek word for erotic love, is the passionate, sensual, and romantic love that fuels the fire of intimacy between a husband and wife. It's the kind of love that intensifies with selflessness and diminishes with selfishness. It's a love that reflects our creator. God uses marriage and sexuality as a parallel to demonstrate his love to the church. And we're here to help you understand that connection on a deeper level. So mark your calendars and get ready for an experience like no other. The Eros Conference is coming to three convenient locations in 2024. And trust me, you want to be there. First up, join us in Indianapolis on January 26th through 27th, 2024. It's gonna be a memorable start to the year. 
or if you want a hot summer vacay, pack your bags and head to the Gulf Coast. On June 21st and 22nd, 2024, we'll be in Biloxi, Mississippi. And finally, we're wrapping up our year in Houston on November 1st and 2nd, 2024. It's going to be a Texas-sized experience. (laughs) All right, guys, so don't waste time. Your marriage deserves the best, and the Eros Conference is where it all begins. At Eros, we're going to bring you biblically-based and scientifically sound tools. So join us because it's time to strengthen your emotional and sexual intimacy and feel more connected than ever. Just click the link in the show notes to register. We'll see you there. Let's talk about the prophetic and how that aligns with the will of God. Practically speaking, a lot of people, probably your students get, you know, prophetic ministry in their lives and they, they have people speaking over their lives. And so they know that they're holding on to this promise of God, but they don't know the timing. They don't know when it's going to happen. What um, what direction can you give those people who are in that waiting room with a pretty specific promise? I say equip yourselves. No matter what you're doing, equip yourselves. And I'm reminded of the story where Elisha is near his death and he tells the king, go get arrows and shoot. And, and what does the king tell, what does the prophet tell him? Get your own arrows and shoot. Yeah. And the thing about the king is, he knows the story. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He knows that when Elijah died, Elisha got the double portion. He knows mm-hmm. the story, but he doesn't shoot enough arrows to get the double portion. Mm-hmm. And what I see from that story is the king was promised victory and he could have had a double portion. So get as many things as you can. Experiences that will equip you, whether it's education, mm-hmm. then you'll, you'll be prepared. Mm. So that is such profound uh advice it seems like so many people get worried about missing it Mm -hmm. and what that does is it it freezes people in action they're like okay what do i do and they're looking all directions while in the middle of the street it's like okay it seems like you like you said go and have experiences and that way you have more to sift from Mm -hmm. to, to choose from and then maybe god could prove one of those paths you know, with peace or, right. you know, I, I like that idea. How else could people, um, in the meantime, find more solace? I think, um, you know, companionship. I know for me, it's been my wife, Lydia and I've been married over 29 years. That has helped us. We've, we've lived the meantime together and all the right times. And, uh, she edited this book and, uh, is a fantastic editor. And as the main editor said, everyone needs a Lydia. So, and, and I have, I have her. So that has really made the difference for me just, um, and what's great about Lydia is not just me, but people who know her always say, well, she's just such a calming presence. She just brings peace and shalom in, in, into my existence. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm the, you know, I'm the more creative type. She's the more administrative type. And so we really mesh well together and she, she brings the peace while I, I might, you know, be more, more passionate about things. Sure. Yeah. That's really good. Talk about the role of a pastor, the role of a shepherd when it comes to seeking the will of God or a professor or professor, <laughs> mentor, counselor, but you know, just you hear of people on both ends of that spectrum that are that are either completely leaving their shepherd out of the conversation or maybe like relying entirely on the shepherd's voice for all direction. 
So how, how could you guide someone who's caught in that dilemma? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And I think we should appreciate those who give us advice. And sometimes it is spot on and we're like, yes, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I've seen and observed other people on occasion. And it was like, I think a mentor or a leader meant well, but maybe they overstepped their bounds. And I really try to avoid that as a professor telling people, oh, this is what you should do. Mm. I'm just here to present the opportunities because a lot of students will come to me and they'll say, well, I could do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about being a professor is, you know, they're already at my school, so I don't have a vested interest in what they, you know, may do next. So mm-hmm. that makes me a little more unbiased. And uh, sometimes even the greatest leaders are like, I, I really don't want to lose these this wonderful person. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful about that. So uh, and one of the things the book talks about is we have to make our own choices. Like we can get advice, but ultimately it's up to us. And, and just to give one example, Please. I had probably the man I consider a mentor who is the man I respect most. And I was getting a master's degree in humanities, emphasizing religion. And he told me, what good is that ever going to do you? <laughs> but it did. And I've actually right. taught a lot of online humanities course and I've got a PhD in religion now because of that, that got me scholarships. Nope. So yeah. uh, sometimes they know, but sometimes <laughs> even the best don't. Yeah. So where does obedience come into play then? If you feel such strong conviction about a specific direction, but if you have a a shepherd, a pastor mentor saying no, like talk to me, no, but like questioning it, maybe even to questioning it or even some of the more old school approaches of just like, don't go to college straight up saying no, you know, like, how do you, how do you navigate that? I mean, I think that's a great question. I think number one, show respect and honor uh, because, uh, they're looking out for your souls. Um, But I always like to say some people could have the best motivations, but it still isn't right. I think we navigate that very carefully. Um, I've been in that situation, um, Mm. just to be completely honest, many years ago, uh, Lydia and I had uh, just given up our lease on our our home and we, we had taken a new job. And then, you know, after the fact, we're getting ready to move in a few days. I've ha- have a spiritual leader come to me and say, oh, I really don't think it's God's will for you to do that. And, you know, I remember being in the shower crying. What am I supposed to do? Aww. And so talking, bringing in another party helped and bringing in other parties helped. And so fortunately, we were in a case where we, we had a, a pastor previously. So sometimes we have to go to another source and and not be disrespectful. And, and we weren't disrespectful of the person who told us this, but... Yeah. Unfortunately, they were wrong. I, I, you know, I wish they hadn't been, you know, I wish it had been different, uh, but I still respect that person because I've seen them get other things right. Sure. Mm. Wow. That's maturity right there to not be, you know, so drastic with your judgment of them now. Yeah. Because it seems like we all miss it at sometimes, you know, and it's so difficult too to, to hardline say, this is the will of God for you that's not expressly stated in scripture. Like, you know, loving Jesus is the will of God, (laughs) but, but it is difficult. I think sometimes to give a hard line, that's what you ought to do because there's, yeah. Yeah. It is. So for the leaders, pastors, counselors listening, um, what guidance would you give them or caution even when it comes to using the phrase will of God? I mean, it gets thrown around so much, yeah, like the, the wog, <laughs> you know, the will of God, like what kind of, um, wisdom can you, can you share with leaders? Yeah. That same mentor who said, you know, what good is the degree you're getting at the time? He also 
uh, gave me some great advice. He said, I can't tell you the will of God for your life, but I can confirm it. And so I, I think we need to be very careful uh, just because things are obvious, it doesn't mean it's always the will of God. And this is where uh, mm. what I teach, uh, we have a books of Samuel class going on. Let's avoid theological presumptuousness because that can be wrong. Look at Eli. He sees Hannah and she's just wanting a child and she's sincere and God's about to do a miracle. He assumes she's drunk. He didn't get it right. Mm. David's men come up to him and said, oh, hasn't, isn't this the day what God spoke to you? You're supposed to kill Saul. David had to have the discernment to know, don't kill Saul. So I think even as leaders, counselors, pastors, professors, I have to be careful of my own theological presumptuous. Maybe I'm not seeing the entire picture. So be careful about that and watch out for your own bias. Do I just not want to let go? Is that the reason that maybe I'm feeling this isn't the will of God and it's really my will? And isn't that so hard to do to have that level of self-awareness and inventory of self to know that this is my will. This is something that would make me more comfortable. Oh, that's so hard. That's a, is that a character development issue? I think it is. And I, I think it's also something that we can all fall prey to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I found it out when my, my son was making his college decisions, you know, being a professor, being someone who studied a lot about, you know, colleges and knows a lot about the higher ed system, what I wanted him to do. And then he makes a decision and then I'm not really sure about it and um, had to go back and let him know, you know what, I was wrong mm-hmm. and I support you what you're doing and he's doing fantastic. But but even I as a father can make that mistake. And that's why right. I I tell people in the book, you know, bring your parents into things but also recognize that they have their own biases, just like I did as a father. And uh, Mm. I'm thankful that my son was able, you know, to have his own, make his own decisions. And that was part of him growing up and also part of me letting go, which is tough to do. For sure. So good. You know, it's funny as my degree is also in humanities, interdisciplinary and humanities and religion. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we're in great company right now. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And then my degree was in philosophy and, you know, so I guess, you know, it's funny. I remember being in classes I love, I love what we're talking about here just because it was a struggle back then going like, I'm going right now into philosophy. Mm -hmm. I was at that point, I had a business in teaching piano lessons and I was trying to, you know, discover what I wanted to do. I went to a philosophy class in my uh, undergrad and just loved it. I'm like, they're talking about God. This is amazing. Like with logic and stuff. (laughs) So that kind of, and I had a whole bunch of questions and doubting and stuff. So that really did influence like what I wanted to learn. But then halfway through college, I'm like, oh my word though, you know, like this isn't really. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Talk to your local agent today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You're going to make money at the end of this tunnel, like... You know, I'm going to have a philosophy, but how do you make money with philosophy? Because, you know, like, I, I think I'm thinking this needs to be a career. And you taught a handful of classes at the college. Yeah, but yeah. but nothing significant. But I think for those listening that are trying to figure out um, what to do next, it's, I think, proving, like you said, mm. I think my spirit bore the witness of like, this is, this is the right way. Yeah. I feel good about it, even though I don't know how it will apply later. And of course that, you know, God kind of developed our life in the business around it. But do you see that sort of trajectory for people's lives? I'm sure you've walked now with countless students questioning, I don't know what to do, but then staying in God's will and movement, staying moving mm. in that process. Um, do you see that that's how most people find their, you know, I don't mission in life? Yeah, absolutely. And and I love the fact that you, you did a degree that some people say, well, what does that have to do with what you're doing now? And you're like saying, well, everything. Yes. A yep. uh, part of the problem that we see in the world today and, you know, higher ed has a lot of problems. We're, we're, we're seeing them just, uh, it's been being laid bare for us. So it's not a perfect world. Uh, but some of our expectations are, are not really right either, because we're saying, okay, if I'm doing X, that should lead to Y job. And, and it, right. that's really not the way it works. <laughs> There's so many skills and things that you learn. How can I say uh, that this one class, which was maybe an elective that I just took uh, for fun, uh, what it what it adds to my life? Well, it actually may add a lot more, but we're looking for one-to-one -one correspondences. Uh, well, this should lead me here. That should lead me there. That's why sometimes you find out just having these experiences are so much better for you, just walking the path. And you, and you were like, well, I didn't exactly know where I was going, but I was still headed in the right direction. So as long as you're headed in the right direction and you're adding arrows to your quiver, that's great. Hmm. Yes. So when a husband and wife are seeking the will of God together and, and earnestly proving the will of God together, um, but they come to maybe a stalemate where one thinks it's, this is the will of God. And the other's like, no, I don't feel that. Don't use personal examples. Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> so whether from your personal examples or from those you've guided along the way, how would you, how would you guide them in, um, navigating their conversations around it? I think that's an excellent question and, and highly relevant because we, you know, we can have opportunities that are different and, you know, 
I can only speak from my personal experience. Uh, when we moved to Cincinnati, I really felt like it was what we were supposed to do. And my wife was a little bit unsure because we're from the same small hometown. So, I mean, we've lived in major cities now, but we were, <laughs> we're both, uh, you know, small town <laughs> people from Kentucky. So she trusted me in that. And, um, a lot of times it's not just about who's making the decision, but who's providing the advice. So my wife ended up for working at, for two chancellors at Vanderbilt University. So when we were making the move, because I was going to grad school, I'm like, you should totally apply for this job. This would be great for you. And she was like, well, I really don't know that I should do this. And so for me, I was giving her the confidence to do this. Mm -hmm. So I think if we can move forward in trust and confidence, that's great. Yeah. Um, for me, it hasn't really been a contention, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but I realize that that can happen too. But I, I think if she had said no, I would have, I would have really taken myself back and say, "Do I really know? Let's just take a second look." Yeah, that's really good. I can um, relate with a personal story, but as a teenager, watching my parents navigate a really hard decision. And, um, so for those who are listening, if you know, my parents, you know, that my mom is the more outspoken one and, um, both of them really, you know, just are in love with God. And, um, my dad felt to move and I was 16, oldest of five kids. My brother was one. So like 15 years from the oldest to the youngest and, they made a decision to uproot my whole family um, when I was 16. And kind of similar to what you're saying from a small town, I mean, family lived there in the small town and they're going to a big town and- Big expensive town. Yes, exactly. And so um, it dramatically changed the trajectory of all of our lives um, for the better. Six months after we moved, um, and then and they were split on that decision. But my mom, I, I think the confidence piece, like you said, my mom trusted the trusted my dad and and the confidence that he had in this in this spiritual decision. Um, but six months after we moved, we found out, and no one had any idea at the time that the pastor we had been under that whole time um, was convicted of child molestation, and spent the last couple decades in prison. And so like he was clearly walking in the spirit, didn't even know why he felt that urge to move. Leaving his business too. Leaving his business, starting a new business. I mean, it was a huge decision, but um, there was power in just like that trust, trusting your spouse that, and as they provide the confidence along the way, that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, I think too maybe for people that are, are having this like big, huge decision to make, knowing that, you know, it will be proven. You'll probably, I mean, along the way, um, that this was a good thing, but knowing mm -hmm. too, that this isn't, nothing has to be forever. Yeah. And things can be for, to try, like you said, go and try some things mm. and something might stick and you'll be like, Hey, this is an interesting avenue to, to go explore. Yeah. I like that. What, um, what other things from the book would you want listeners to know, um, regarding making decisions and like you said, dusting off the sand of, of, you know, the, you know, the, the dust that clings to you in the, in the fog of war in life, but what else would you want people to understand or look out for? 
think about all that you learn in the meantime when it is mean. And, and Joseph is one of the major examples from the book of being in the pit in Potiphar's yeah. house, falsely accused and in the prison. Sometimes when you're in the meantime, you feel like I'm not learning anything. And yet he was developing lots of skills and an awareness of what needed to be done. And he was actually saving his family. And, you know, he might have personally wanted to just stay with his father. If you're the favorite kid, I'll just stay here. I'll just do this. It would have been convenient, but it wouldn't have been right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we live in a culture of convenience and it's really hard sometimes to get us out of that mindset of convenience. And I, I b- truly believe that sometimes God puts us in the meantime, makes life inconvenient to get us to where we need to be. Because if he didn't do that, we would never go on our own. Cause I know sometimes I've gone through the will of God, kicking and screaming, but I thank God I got there anyway. Man, that's good. I love that you bring up, um, Joseph. Mm-hmm. Because it definitely wasn't convenient for Joseph without the foresight of what God already knew was coming. <laughs> like, you're going to need to be ready to run Egypt. Um, but there's a lot of things you got to learn along the way. And it's in, you know, Potiphar's house and it's in um, the the bottom of a pit. And it's, it's in a jail cell. So many things that need to be learned along that way. Mm-hmm. What other lessons do you elucidate from that passage? Forgive, you know, um, I've been amazed at some of the good things that have happened to me that they required people to do bad. That Mm. at the time I was like, wow, uh, they really did wrong. Um, Even stepping back from it, when you get out of the meantime desert and you look at life and you're like, wow, you know what? It's not just because I was angry or frustrated or upset. They truly did something wrong. Mm. And when you can look at it, hindsight, trying to take your emotions out of it and still realize that they were wrong, but then you can forgive them. And then you can all also say, you know what, this was for a purpose. Now I'm not only able to save them, but I'm able to save the world. That's probably the toughest lesson to get out of the meantime. It's the last bit of sand that you have to shake out. And it's all those times where you're like, I didn't realize there was still sand here, but it's, I'm still irritated by this, but, but hopefully it produces a pearl of great price in your life. Wow. That's a nice mouthful. And we can have an altar call now. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredibly sad. It's so true. How do we maintain our virtue, you know, in that desert and in that place? Because I can look back now in my life and go, oh, my word, if we didn't go through this and this and this, Mm -hmm. there is no way that we could be doing what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way. I wouldn't have those experiences or the uh, fortitude to be able to handle what's happening. So that's, that's brilliant. How do you differentiate between, um, like good that comes from bad things versus, Oh, that must have been the will of God. Like, are they one in the same or does human fallenness get in the way of the will of God? And then God still allows good to come from it. Uh, well, uh, we should let the philosopher answer this question. <laughs> I'll defer to the person sitting in the Vatican here. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that's always a question of, you know, why did this happen? I think sometimes we get too caught up on the whys and we just have to trust that God allows this to happen. Of course, some people are just going to do things and um, you're going to wonder why did that happened. And 
I think the, the key is to just keep living life and walking with God. Uh, because when, when bad things happen, we could start trying to judge other people. We could start trying to judge God. Sometimes we start to judge ourselves and we feel bad about ourselves. You know, we have bad things that happen to us and we say, well, man, I should have handled that better. Somebody else would have handled it better. Well, they may not have if they'd been in your shoes. And so yeah. I, I would say, trust God with the questions. Um, you know, my, my Old Testament class, they recently read Lamentations. And one of the quotes, I can't remember it exactly when I studied Lamentations, it was basically this, if we will trust God for the inexplicable things like miracles, can we not also trust God for the inexplicable things like pain or hurt in our lives? Yeah. Yes. It's true. Yes. That's such a good question to hold. What other things would you have people remember? What have you held to in difficult times where they didn't have an answer, but they were stuck? What do you, what would you give them or how did you maintain that balance through those trials? Yeah, I think sometimes you just have to uh, stop fighting it and, um, Stop trying to fix the situation. For me, you know, I, I did strength spiner. My number one strength is I'm a strategist. So I'm always trying to fix something. I'm always trying to figure out a way to make this better. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> at some point that becomes counterproductive because there are certain situations you can't fix. Now, whereas in multiple other areas of life, being a strategist is great. You know, writing a book, figuring out how to do it. And sometimes I just have to tell myself, you know what? You need to go fishing. You need to read a comic book. You, you know, you need to... <laughs> You just need to not think about it because you're you're yeah. just you're going to overthink it. So I'm, I'm giving permit people permission to de-stress your life. Just do something that's fun that you enjoy. That will help you. Sometimes we're focused too much on the problem that it's not going to be solved today or maybe even tomorrow. I love that. Okay, from from your perspective, why do you, why do you think that people should do things like fishing or read comic books? <laughs> because, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't allow themselves yeah. to do those sort of things. I mean, for me, I, I think about before social media came around, how people would just go to the record store and they would get an album on vinyl and they would just lay there and listen to it. And that yeah. was so great. Now we, oh, I have to make a playlist. I have to, you know, randomly have something pop up. I, I, I think a little bit of randomness in life is good because so many things seem to be planned. And for you know, for me, there's always the challenge of, I always feel like I'm not doing enough. You know, I wrote this book and once it was published, I had another one ready. This is an academic book <sighs> and I'm doing all these things. And yet I will still have in the back of my mind, Chris, you're still not doing enough. Mm -hmm. And so then that's, that's the point. It's time to go fishing. It's time to get a graphic novel, time to get a novel and read, listen to music, whatever, do something mindless. Yeah. I love that. Why? Why do you think, why do you think, what's the permission do you think? Um, I guess when I think of this, cause so I just had the, let me explain. I just had this conversation with a guy that was, um, just stressed out. Lots of life difficulties are all around him and he had some time off, but he wasn't doing anything or planning anything. And he was just a little under the weather. And so we were just talking about, you know, the mentality behind that. But I started saying, you know, asking him, what do you like doing? You're like, what brings you joy? What, what puts a smile on your face, even in this trial? Um, I guess from my perspective, I think of a good father, like I know that God is, wants his kids to enjoy what he's given them. And yeah. yet some of his kids sit underneath the roof, shaded from the sunlight, and don't do much with all of these benefits. 
Um, I don't know. How would you inspire someone to go and enjoy? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's excellent. Just give yourself permission. I see so many people who were stressed out. Well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And there's a list a mile long. And I think you have to choose joy though. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book. We were with um, two of the people uh, that we dedicated the book to Richard and Nancy Granquist, and we were ministering. They had a house church and she had someone there. She was trying to help and counsel. And so the person left and we, we kind of seen uh, them in action talking to her. And she finally just said, you know what? She's just got to choose joy. Mm-hmm. It's, it has to be a choice. And I think sometimes we think that joy is automatically going to pop up into our lives. It's just going to, we're going to happen upon joy. And sometimes you do sometimes just something great happens. It's like, wow, what a, what a blessing from God. Eureka, we found it. But then there are other times we have to choose, choose joy. <laughs> Put yourself in the way of it. So it hits you. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes you go through a trial and you're in no way happy about it. Um, you know, there's no, there's no positive emotion about it, but joy is a spiritual context. You can choose joy without being happy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is totally true. And, you know, I talk about some about, um, you know, happiness and what happens and hap. And, uh, one of the examples from the book is, is Ruth or her hap was to light on a portion belonging to Boaz. And so it, you know, when anybody else would read that, they're like, oh, it was just a chance encounter. Of course, we know it was it was the plan and will of God and the joy that it brought both of them. And, and so I talk about a little uh, in the book that Ruth is a woman who needs a second chance. And here is Boaz, who, who is a man willing to give her a second chance. And when you look at the story, Ruth uh, is the one she's kind of been the go getter. I mean, she's gone against the grain of what society would say she'd do, gone back with her mother in law. She's a stranger in a strange land like Moses. Here's Boaz, Mr. By the Book. I'm a farmer. I'm going to do this. And then as the relationship grows, he has to go and make sure it's all legally uh, taken care of because he's the administrator. And whereas she's very different, but they work so well together. Mm. That's great. That is good. Man, so many lessons to take. I think they're fabulous life lessons here because um, all of us are going to arrive at a place that we have to make choices and make decisions that are potentially life-altering yeah. or some people need to make decisions that are life-altering. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I think it's such a good uh, book and discussion here for people who are at forks in the road, but also the people who have been on a long road with no <laughs> forks for yeah. a long time and they're looking for a fork. Like where's the greener grass? Yeah. So this, this has been such a helpful conversation. Thank you so much. We're going to, we're going to, um, before we close the episode, we're going to, uh, link your book in the show notes. Can you tell folks where to find it? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, from uh, Pentecostal publishing house, Pentecostal resources group. Uh, they will have the book. I think they recently changed their names. Okay. Desperately seeking direction. All right. Desperately Great. seeking direction. So we'll we'll put that in the show notes so you guys have a link to it there. And um, now we're going to close out the episode the way that we close all of our episodes. And that's by asking you this question. Rewind back to your first couple years of marriage. And what advice do you wish you would have received? And fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Okay. Well, what an excellent question. Uh, Dear young married couple, appreciate the first few years of marriage as much as you can because you will be building your life. You will be thinking about education, career. You will maybe thinking about children, but take the time. 
to enjoy what you're doing, live in the moment. I didn't truly, I think, realize to uh, not look for life to be moving on to the next thing until I had a son. And then I didn't want it to be over. And we mm. should think about our marriages much the same way. Uh, it's forever, but let's enjoy that forever, uh, bit by bit, time by time. That's Fantastic. really good advice. Take that to heart, people. Thank you so much, Dr. Paris. Thank you. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Do you want help getting to the next level in your ministry or personal development? We would love to help coach you. I made this statement before. Everyone needs a counselor. Just think about it. Every person competing at the highest levels has someone in their corner. Yeah, leadership doesn't have to be lonely, and we would love to help you. Just shoot us a text, 916-678-1797. And you can also find out more information at DearYoungMarriedCouple.com. P.S. You don't have to be married to get some help. So just reach out, contact us. We'd love to walk alongside you. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.